Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography in the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. Hello again. Nice to have you back. Thanks for taking a half hour or so to listen to us. This week, we're going to talk about something that Jeff and I know nothing about. And in order to do that, we've invited a friend of mine, Ian Schrey. Ian is the co-host of the Committed Podcast, of which I am also the co-host. So we're kind of doing a podcast tag team here. Ian, thanks for joining us. Well, you're very welcome. You know, we're actually not doing our regular podcast this week, so this is perfect. This this is fine. I get my podcast fixed this week. I think the important thing is that it's great to know interesting people who do lots of different things. Yes, indeed. And take advantage of their knowledge and pick their brains about things that they know. Ian has been a pilot for several years, not a pilot of like a real plane, but one of those little toy planes, the things that goes and has a camera on it. A couple of years ago, what, what happened? You bought a drone from our other co-host, Rob Griffiths, and I, I found it fascinating. I had never had the idea of using a drone for photos, and I know it's quite popular. And if I remember correctly, you were sort of smitten overnight with the idea of flying this thing around and taking pictures. Right. So I bought the Phantom 2 from our friend Rob, who lives near me, and took it out. Flew it. We flew it together. We went to a park, and we flew it, and... Yeah, it was instant because I made it went from being like flying a kite or those little toy, you know, the little toy helicopters, right? I mean, those things ridiculous. Um, it went from that to I realized this is a camera with propellers rather than a, a, a copter with a little camera on them. I mean, the, the camera on these things, the cameras on these things are substantial, like they are real deal cameras. Um, and once I realized that, and once I realized really how easy they are to fly, they're not hard. Uh, I, I was overnight. And so what I did was I went out and I purchased the Phantom 4 right after. Uh, and I am embarrassed to say I've not yet sold the Phantom 2 and it's sitting in its case in the other room. <laughs> if anyone's near Portland and they want to buy a Phantom 2, drop us a line. We'll put you in touch with Ian. Yes, cheap. But the Phantom 4 is not. <laughs> now, now I'm going to screw up the sale. The Phantom 4 is a leap forward from the two it is uh it is really something else and i just in the streamline the product how they did it and i i was hooked immediately and i flew the thing for almost every day for weeks taking photos of things and videos and all that kind of stuff well i'm the odd man out because it turns out that jeff also has a drone jeff how long ago did you buy yours um not very long in fact i have a dji mavic pro that uh i bought from a friend i think that seems to be a very common way of getting into drones is you have a friend who has one and then the company comes out with a newer model and the friend needs to offload something so that they can buy the newer model, which is exactly what happened to me. I've only had it for a few months. And so I can say that I have done drone photography. I enjoy drone photography, but as we'll get into, I'm sure, soon or later, it's been kind of hard to actually go fly because I live in Seattle. Right. So that's the first thing. If you do buy a drone, where can you use it? I'm not aware of the laws here in the UK. I do live next to a farm, and I'm sure the farmer who owns 200 acres is our landlord. He would be more than happy if I had a drone and started taking pictures. But once you get past his fields and cross the river and all that, I, what are the rules where you guys are? So in the United States, and I'm no expert, so don't, just take mine as a guidance and be, be sure to look at it. In the United States, the FAA regulates all airspace in the, in, in the country, every single bit of airspace. So they are the authority. They're the ones that make the rules on when you can fly, how you can fly. The rules do change. When I first started flying, I had to get a license. And I th think less about 
driver's license and think more about automobile license, like a license plate. Like a registration. Yeah, yeah. so I didn't have to pass a test or anything. I just had to, it was $5 or something. And I have a number. And, and, and that's in case your drone goes into the engine of like a 747 <laughs> and they pull out the little number plate and they can right. come find you. So the FAA can limit uh, the flight uh, for a number of different reasons. Uh, so and, and, and for any reason or no reason. And some of the reasons would be it can't you can't be near an airport. You can't fly higher than 400 feet from the spot you took off from. That's a very important distinction. So if you go to the top of a mountain, which I have done, I uh, hiked up to the top of a butte in, in central Oregon and flew from there. So I was already at 6,000 feet, right? Or whatever the number was. And I could go another 400. But if I were to take off from right here, I have to, which I'm roughly sea level, I have to, yeah, I can only go up 400 feet. But if you're at 6,000 feet, can you go down? Yeah. Can you just keep going down? Absolutely. As far as... You sure can. Okay. It's your takeoff spot. So these things, the technology in the in the drones are pretty impressive. They have modern drones. And, and the Mavic and the and the Phantom that, that Jeff and I both have the same in this regard. They have GPS built in. They log everything you do. In fact, you can actually go into the app and see your entire flight like on a map, see what you did, when, how you turned, how fast you were going. It logs absolutely everything. Kind of like the Nike run app. <laughs> yes, it, it absolutely goes, uh, it logs everything you do. So, and, and again, we go back to the ease of flight. This is part of the reason that they're so easy to fly relatively. Um, so some states, some municipalities will try to jump in and govern what, where, when and where and how you can fly uh, a drone and they can't really do that. So I can legally fly over anything the FAA says or doesn't say I can't, if that makes sense. Uh, I have been stopped and told you can't do this, but what the correct way that they do it and our city has this, you cannot take off or land from any public park in my town. And some, a lot of cities do it this way. I can fly over the park and I've had a, a park ranger stop me and say, I'm sorry, you can't take that off. And I said, oh, I'm, and he, by the way, when they do that, don't be mean. And I just said, oh, where, how, how can I do that? Can I fly over the park? He said, the FAA says you can, so you can, but I need you to take off from 20 feet over there from the sidewalk. And I thought, oh, no problem. Uh, but other municipalities will say you can't fly over their place and they're actually wrong. Uh, that is, they, they can't yeah. say so that. That's something that I, I've run into in Seattle is that it, it is illegal to take off from any um, public park, which, of course, is crazy because like a park is the absolute perfect place to go and fly. Being here in Seattle, we have lots of like coastal areas. And so there's like a Golden Gardens Park, which would be perfect, like take off, you know, fly out over the water and and, you know, not even over the top of people, which I think is is usually the main concern like officials don't want drones crashing down on people in fact there was a video somebody crashed a drone into the space needle and i think that was a big deal where the owners of the space needle who tend to be litigious anyway they and the city were like no this is anarchy we can't have people just flying things everywhere sorry that's not really what their voice sounds like so it turns out like to really be good and strict and legal and, and all of that, um, it's hard to find any place to fly around. 
So I tend to, to either, you know, go outside the city when I have an opportunity, or actually I was recently in Portland and I, I flew with a friend. I, I did not know that the parks were uh, the same issue there. So, um, <clears throat> sorry, Portland. <laughs> well, to be, to be, yeah, to be clear, I'm not sure if that's the rule in Portland. I live in a different city than Portland, uh, Portland itself proper. It might, I just He's live in the suburb. Next to Portland. But, yeah. Yeah. Right next to Portland. But, uh, I don't know what the rules are in Portland city proper. What I think is, is interesting about all this is we've been talking for a few minutes and, and we still haven't gotten off the ground or taken any photos. Exactly. Exactly. So if you're going to get into drone photography, you have to realize that the photography part is a few steps down the line. You need to understand what you're doing. You need to know at least some of these basics so that if something goes wrong, you aren't dunking something into a river or getting in trouble with authorities. And what is great, as Ian mentioned, um, that I wanted to sort of reiterate is that when you're flying these things, the thing that I love the most is that you don't have to like put any effort into keeping it in the sky. That's the big advantage to this because you're not having to figure out how am I going to get this to hover? So many times I'll like put it up there and, and just let it sit there while I'm looking at the controls or I'm trying to figure out a shot or what have you. So that's the great part. That was the moment at which I realized this was for me, that it was that easy. All right, so let's let's get into a practical consideration. Before the show, I was looking up how much drones cost. And the good ones, I mean, you can get some for a couple hundred dollars, but the good ones, you're over $1,000. How much did you guys spend on these? these? These aren't Leica prices, but these are still full camera prices, aren't they? Nothing's Leica prices, but... <laughs> <laughs> I saw a drone that was $7,000, so yes, and it does not fire missiles. Okay, well... Not without modification. <laughs> yes. And some of these you can modify, but anyway, won't best not to get into that. Our approach of, of of buying someone's old drone is actually the way to go. I got a great deal on mine for five hundred dollars. So my mine normally it's one generation back, still sells for like eight hundred to a thousand dollars, depending on where where you get it. Because I had a friend who wanted to buy the the newest one, the newest uh, Mavic. He was like, you know, I'll give this to you for five hundred dollars, and he threw in an extra battery, and and it's so because he has drone acquisition syndrome. He absolutely does. He absolutely does. And so for somebody who wants to get into flying drones and they're just not really sure, that's the way to do it. I know $500 is not small, but honestly, I didn't really see myself as being a, a drone pilot or, or drone photographer, but it was one of those things where I can get a $1,000 drone for half price. It's at least worth it to me to see if I can, you know, see if it'll work for me, see if it, if I'll do anything with it. And what's the quality of the camera you have? I mean, most of the ones I look at, they can do 4K video. That's not a really high resolution for still photos. I think it's a, it's a 16 megapixel camera. So it's not a huge resolution. It does do 4K video. The new one that has come out, I think, has maybe 20, 24 megapixel resolution. And, and it's actually a, a Hasselblad camera that they've mounted on there. So, you know, good good optics. So it's not like a price. It's Hasselblad price. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a GoPro on a drone. It's like a real camera then. Exactly, exactly. And and you know, the, the, the more expensive models have much better cameras that are, you know, comparable to a mirrorless or... Yeah. or the yeah. quality is great, and and there's a gimbal on it on some of them. Yours does not have this, Jeff, but mine has a gimbal. So what it's doing is the camera is always level, right? Is it? Does yours have a gimbal in it as well? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
So, so yeah, it's always level. That's another thing to keep in mind. So when you are shooting the photo, I mean, uh, with traditional photography with a camera, there's a lot you have to do with your hands to get all this going. With the with the drone, the, the drone's controlling the camera. It's on there. And so you don't have to worry too much about leveling. You don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. It just happens. Having said that, though, you can override that if you wanted to specifically do something that was uh, crooked. Uh, but you can also control all of the traditional exposure settings with the app right there, and you have full control of that. You can easily switch between video and still. Uh, it's actually quite nice. It's a nice way to do it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about the actual process of photography with drones. How do you shoot? What do you shoot? What do you do with your pictures afterwards? If you're enjoying the Photoactive podcast, do us a favor. Go to iTunes and give us a rating. Five stars would be nice. We'd really appreciate that. You can even write a review and say how much you like it. And you can talk about all the great episodes that we've had in the podcast. If you use the podcast app where you can like or fave the podcast like Overcast or others, please do that. It helps us. I've suggested recently that we run a pyramid scheme where each person who listens to the podcast tells two of their friends and each of them tells two of their friends. And hopefully we can get, you know, a million listeners one of these days. Also, check out our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. It'll be easier if you just go to the show notes and click on the link there. We discuss the episodes, we post articles that we find interesting, we post photos, and you can post your own photos as well. So, let's talk more about taking pictures. Now, if I'm not mistaken, one of the reasons you got a drone, Ian, is for your business. Am I correct? Yes, absolutely. So, I had to learn about uh, the the way this technology works. So, at the time, I was working uh, freelance for a company that did agriculture surveying. And so, I would spend a lot of time... Uh, managing these gigantic TIFF images, uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, terabytes of data. Uh, a funny story, the, the, they would they would take the imagery in cornfields in the Midwest, and then because it's so much data and you can't possibly upload it, they would FedEx overnight the hard drive. Uh, that was the only way to really do it realistically. Because the data by its nature gets old, right? Because <laughs> there's only so much time that it's valid when things are growing. Right. So you were doing things like heat maps to check on the, the status of crops and all that. Yes. And so we weren't using drones. They were actually, it doesn't make sense when you're talking about 200,000 acres of cornfields. So it doesn't, it's not realistic. So it was airplanes. But I had to learn about it because the technology that we were using was very similar with drones. And I needed to understand how this was going, how it was affected, how skew can affect uh, the, the validity of the imagery. I had to understand this. And so I'm not saying that I bought this for business, but it certainly helped me to understand it and how the whole thing works. Having said that, you can do this as a real business. There are golf courses, for example. You go there and you can get these little cameras that you modify your your Phantom, typically the, the Phantom series, and take these imagery, this imagery that will tell you the health of that golf course. That's really valuable to a golf course. So there's lots of applications out there to do those things. Yeah. For, for example, I know a guy here in Seattle who's a real estate photographer, and, uh, you know, he, he bought a drone so you can get that, that high up, look at the entire property kind of view. And uh, he's been really successful with it. And does he just shoot stills or does he shoot videos to give to people? Because I would think the video is actually more interesting, like circling around the property and, and, and kind of diving toward the swimming pool and then, and then peeking up and going toward the sunset, something like that. Absolutely. Making it more cinematic, making it more appealing. I mean, that's, that's the whole 
essence of, of trying to sell it. He's even done some jobs where uh, he's like flown through offices to get an idea of the interior of an office space. And there, there was a big uh, Nordic Heritage Museum that opened here last year that he he did the photography like for the whole construction uh, and you know would just go back and it, it was really interesting stuff. In fact, when I got my drone, my wife was like, "Well, so if this is something that will help, uh, you know, buy me dinner, I'm all for it. Let's <laughs> let's do that." <laughs> Let me just ask a practical question. So, what's always kept me from even considering buying one of these things is the fact that it goes up in the air and then it goes someplace, and then what happens if it comes down? They all come down, but <laughs> they all come down. Yeah, but what happens if it comes down in a place like in a river? Or that it's gone. someone's field that you can't get into. That then you get to buy a new drone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do this a lot. I, I flew it over the ocean. We go to the Oregon coast all the time. And I was flying it over the ocean. I used to be just terrified of flying over ocean, right? And and w one time I noticed there was a whale out there. And I grabbed everything and I said, forget, I'm just going to do it. And I flew pretty high up over the whales and got a photos video of the whales which was interesting because i realized there were two and then i realized there were actually four because there were the calves were with them as well it's really cool uh but but i realized very quickly that it doesn't matter what surface they fall onto from 400 feet <laughs> if they fall you're either going to recover wreckage or not and that's the only difference they're done when they fall from that height they just are yeah and and that's kind of expensive that's like throwing a camera in the air and letting it drop Yes, but I don't worry too much about it because you have to you have to go for it is the way I see it. You have to go for it. And again, flying over ocean, it just I don't over water, it doesn't bother me anymore. because uh, again, it's gonna if it falls, it's gone. Uh but you can if you get over that, you can really get some very interesting photos. And you know, typically when you're doing photography, you can you're you're really limited by your height, right? I mean you can kind of hold the camera up or you can go really far down. This is an order of magnitude difference, right? I mean you're getting photos from four hundred feet. Uh even straight down is very interesting. Uh for a, actually for the most interesting ones I see tend to be straight down photos of rivers or beaches or forests, things like that. The less the kind of photo that's gone up in, in a tree to get a different picture of a forest, if you know what I mean. It's it's more the fact that I remember in the, I think it was the 1990s, there was a, a French photographer named Yann Artus Bertrand who did a book in French. It was called La Terre Vue du Ciel, uh, the, the, the earth seen from above. And there were these splendid photos of like, river deltas and deserts and mountain ranges and all that. And these were from airplanes and, and helicopters. They were often higher up with zoom lenses. But the perspective you get is this is something you simply do not see in real life unless you're, you know, looking at Google Maps and a satellite view. One of the things that I've noticed and, and that I uh, struggle with a bit um, is is having that imagination of what sort of photos are possible. So, you know, obviously doing, you know, a high up top down shot. And, and as Ian mentioned, the, the gimbal, um, not only does it keep things level, um, you can move the camera around on, on many of these. And so, you know, you can look straight down, you can look sideways, whatever. So you have like almost too much freedom to make images. And so suddenly like you're up, you're flying and you're like, yay, I'm flying. Now I need to think about what to shoot. And so you spend some time like looking around, trying to, to, to find or compose a shots. So you have all of that as a possibility. But there have also been times where, you know, how many times have you been out shooting and you're like, I would love to get this shot, but I would like to be, you know, on a 20 foot ladder. 
Well, this is this is exactly what that's for. Just, just to get a, an acute angle rather than something from straight above. Exactly, exactly. Or or something from from down below. When you're like, you know, there there, there are these the strand of trees that if I am shooting with my camera where I'm standing, you get a strand of trees and the ugly outhouse that's stuck in in front of it. Well, if I could go up high and fly a hundred yards closer, then that's a completely different composition. And so. You need to to sort of develop that that other eye of okay, what compositions can this drone give me in addition to thinking about how to get up there? Yeah, and you do like you mentioned, you do have a lot of control of the camera, and I mean from the remote, you can control these things uh, remotely. You can go up and so you can go up and down, meaning you have a you have forty five degrees. I'm sorry, 90 degrees, where you can go straight ahead or straight down or any any bit in between. You can't go up, though. So you can't realistically take a photo up with the camera, which is really weird to think about. Not that you'd ever want to, but you can't. And you can't turn the camera into side to side independently of the drone. That's something to really you have to get used to thinking about. That you're, you cannot, the camera will not turn side to side. Obviously the drone will. And so you do that by turning the whole drone and it's fine. It makes sense, but it's something to keep in mind when you're doing this. And then there are shortcuts. So there's a button, you can program all these buttons with by default, there's a button that just says, go all the way down, just go down or go all the way up. And you can do that. You wouldn't want to do that during video, but you can do that uh, and, and get around using the, those kinds of, of things. But you're exactly right. It, it's not just about shooting 400 feet up. It's about shooting 25 feet up or 50 feet up. That is really a good point. And there are also lots of different modes. Um, this is also one of the things I struggle with. Like, like this thing can do so much, and I've only scratched the surface. I just need to fly more. That's what, what, what am I doing here? I should be out flying. Well, if you can't take it off from where you live, then that's a problem. See, me, I just go out, walk around behind the barn. I'm in the field, and I could fly over the whole area. Oh, here. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's go to your farm and, uh, and and just go flying. Come bring your drone. We got six bedrooms in this house. Come bring your drones, and you know we'll have a, a drone party or so something. So some some of the features that that it has, like for example, um, there's a a tripod mode, which sounds sort of silly on a drone, but what it's doing is it actually sort of slows all the controls, makes it so that uh, you have a steadier image. So you could you know technically you know unless you have like lots of wind or something, um, you could take long exposure photos from a drone and, you know, get good results. Um, or, you know, if you are shooting video, you want to do kind of like a slow tracking shot, like like that mode helps there. Or, you know, th there are all sorts of other things, especially with, with video, but you can have it circle where you are. Um, it has modes for capturing uh, HDRs and panoramas and like all sorts of things. What sort of focal lengths are the lenses on these things? I think they're they're generally uh, pretty wide angle. I actually don't know offhand uh, what it is. So you zoom with your drone as yes. opposed to zooming from – it's a fixed focal length. Yeah. Right. It is fixed focal length. That's for sure. And you, that is an important distinction. Uh, but, right, you, you move – like I was always told when I – traditional photography to zoom with your zoom feet, with your feet yeah. whenever you can. Yeah. yeah. And so it's the same principle there. We haven't actually said this, but it's worth mentioning that when you're controlling this, uh, you have a, a physical controller that has joysticks, but you're also looking at what the camera is seeing from an iPhone or an iPad that's connected. Another interesting thing about these, some of them, you can be five miles away. 
and still control it because you're you're seeing what the camera sees. How is it working? Radio frequency? Because it's not cellular, but it's going to be line of sight since it's up in the air. You have less of a problem with interference. In the United States, the FAA says you have to maintain line of sight at all times, meaning you can't even fly behind a house. Legally, you cannot fly around a house. But there, as you can imagine, there's an angle, right? There's math that will tell you how far away that thing can go. You, you can only go up 400 feet and then over that way as far as you can see it. So, And, and how long do they fly? I, I see things, it's like 20 minutes. It's not a lot. That's a lot longer than you think. That's actually, a, you're up there a ways. And, I don't know. I have one of those Dyson handheld vacuums that works about 14 minutes, and that's pretty quick. It runs out... <laughs> You know, faster than you'd expect. How long does it take to charge the battery? Or what do you do? You have multiple batteries? So I think the number one thing you need to do if you want to get serious is buy extra batteries. That's number one. Like a half a dozen batteries? No, I have three batteries. And they're about... Are these the same sizes of batteries and cameras? No. No. They're actually actually quite large. In fact, uh, on on the Mavic Pro, the battery is probably a third of the unit itself. It it, it it snaps in. Actually, the power button is on the battery. Oh, okay. It snaps in and out pretty easily. But um, it, the battery is is the heaviest, biggest component. Yeah, and I have a and I, I I have three batteries, so I can bring it down real quickly, swap the battery, and go right back up. And I can fly for almost an hour with all of my batteries. Okay. I think now we need to turn it over to our listeners. And if anyone has a drone, please post some photos in our Facebook group. Ian and Jeff are going to put some photos for this week's show notes. I hope they all have some interesting photos. If you have a drone, tell us about it. I mean, this is one of those things. It's like it's a gadget that's really tempting. But, you know, because of the cost and the risk and all, I've always hesitated. I'm sure a lot of people have hesitated. And and as Jeff said, you know, if you can't take off from where you live, then you've got problems. You've got to drive to use it. There are a lot of hurdles, and of course it makes sense because of the safety. You don't want this crashing into someone on a freeway or into a jet engine by an airport. So thanks very much, Ian, for joining us. I hope we can talk more about this in the future. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to go get one right away, but you know Black Friday and then Boxing Day sales over here? It's kind of tempting to see what they have. Uh, I might even just go for one of the cheap 100-pound ones just to play and get used to it. Okay, it's time for this week's snapshots. Jeff, what have you got? Since I acquired my drone, it came with a bunch of other stuff because my friend had outfitted it fairly well. This is a 6 or $7 little 3D printed accessory that you put over the joysticks on the controller when you're not using it or when you have it in your bag so that you don't accidentally snap off your joysticks. It's this tiny little, I think, essential thing because you don't want to go out and start flying and realize that that the actual control that you have can't be used. You can switch to a Wi-Fi mode on some drones and, you know, control it just using the screen, but it's much, much, much easier to use the actual controller. So the one that I have linked is, is one specific to the Mavic and the Mavic Pro. But if you go to Amazon and search for the model of drone that you have, uh, you'll find dozens of, of options. Kirk, do you have something related to drones this week, or is it a book? No, it's actually related to drones. So sometimes I come to a podcast episode without an idea for a snapshot, and I have to sort of think really quickly. But as we were talking, and I mentioned that photographer, Yann Artus Bertrand, I looked up on his website while Jeff was saying interesting things, and I found that he's got a page that's called 133 Countries from Above. There are thousands of photos, literally thousands. There are more than 500 of Algeria. There are hundreds. 550 from France. There are countries like Haiti and India and Indonesia and Mexico and you name it. 
so he did this from helicopters and from airplanes. He didn't do this with drones, as far as I know. Maybe he did more recent ones. There's a picture. The thumbnail for the United Kingdom is a crop circle. That one looks interesting. He was probably the first person to do a big book of this, and it was The Earth Seen From Above, I think it was called. And he created many books afterwards. This this became his his style of photography. An awful lot of them are just high up shooting out toward the horizon. So you're seeing the side of a mountain, but there are a lot that are straight down or down on an angle. And looking at this gives you an idea of composition. Now, you're not going to be over necessarily a marina or Angkor Wat in Thailand or the Swiss Alps, but you will get some ideas of composition. What I find interesting is that the composition of drone photos is pretty much the same as the composition of photos when your feet are on the ground. It's just you're looking down. So you've got the same idea with lines and shapes and proportions and all that, but they just look so strange because we never see them like this. So have a browse through this. There are literally thousands of photos that will give you ideas for what to shoot. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Until next week, thanks again for listening.